Lovely to see you at church today. Uh, can I? Uh, uh, today we are going to be starting a new series uh, that's looking at some of the uh, key values uh, that we have at St. Mary's. Um, and we'll look at one value each week for the next five weeks. All right. uh, now there are many values that we hold dear. These are not the only things that are important to us. Uh, but here are five important ones across all our congregations. They all spring from the gospel. Uh, they're all connected to it. They're all part of gospel-centered ministry. All right, and so this morning, I'm going to introduce the series. Uh, I'll speak about the first one, which is a passion for reaching the lost with the gospel of Christ. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll speak about the gospel first, uh, and then what it means to be centered on the gospel. Uh, and then we'll apply that to the topic uh, that's at hand. Uh, most of our sermons at St. Mary's are expository in nature, which means we expound one passage and usually work through a book in a consecutive way. Uh, but this series is a topical one, so we're going to move around the Bible a little bit uh, to see what it says about this topic. All right, so it'd be good if you have a Bible with you, or at least your Bible app, uh, so that uh, even though you have just a few verses on the screen, you can actually see the context of, the, of, uh, of what's being said. All right, so let me lead us in prayer uh, as we begin. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you have gathered us uh, as your people around your word, uh, and we pray that you speak to us uh, by your spirit through your word uh, as we look at it together now. Uh, work in our hearts, we pray. Help me to preach uh, clearly and faithfully, uh, and may your spirit uh, point us to Jesus, uh, the wonderful salvation we have in him. Uh, help it give us faith, repentance, uh, love for you, uh, and a passion uh, for reaching the lost with your gospel. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I meet people from different churches, uh, one thing I sometimes ask them is this. If you could summarize the message of your church, uh, if you could summarize all the sermons, all the songs, all the things that are set from the front, all the things, you know, uh, from the last two years, right, into one short message, what would that be? What would that be? Now, of course, each one is different, huh? each week is different, right? But in the end, is there a center? Is there a repeated emphasis? Is there a main message that comes up in all different ways? I wonder what you would say if people ask you about St. Mary's. At St. Mary's, we like to say that we are gospel-centered. But what does that mean? And even more fundamentally, what is the gospel that we preach? Now, we all know that the word gospel simply means good news. But anyone can say that they preach the gospel. Uh, if someone claims to preach the gospel or to be centered on the gospel, that is not good enough. Now, many years ago, when, when I was in Australia, I was close to a godly lay leader of another church. A new vicar had been, trans had been transferred to his church. And the lay leader asked him, do you preach the gospel? And the vicar said, yes. He said, okay, I support your appointment. And two or three years later, he had to leave the church because this new vicar was preaching all kinds and doing all kinds of bizarre things. You see, everyone associated with church will claim that they preach the gospel. You can ask the most liberal false teacher, do you preach the gospel? They'll say yes. The question, do you preach the gospel, is not good enough. You have to ask, what is the gospel that you preach? What is the gospel that you preach? And then you need to work out if the gospel they preach is the same gospel as the gospel that's preached by the apostles and comes to us in the Bible. Or are they preaching another gospel? 
Now, the apostolic gospel is summed up for us in our New Testament reading today. That's 1 Corinthians 15. I know we looked at it on Easter Sunday. I know how I'm looking in again, and we won't spend that much time on it compared to the whole Easter Sunday service. So let me just take you back to 1 Corinthians 15 again. Right? There, the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians of the gospel, it says, which he preached to them. The gospel which they received. The gospel in which they stand, in verse 2. Uh, by gospel by which they are saved, if they hold fast to it. These are the things Paul received, Paul delivered, as of first importance. And what is they? Verse 3, Christ died for our sin in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared. He goes on to list all the people he appeared to. Okay? A little bit of my emphasis on the appearances because he's going to go for the rest of the chapter uh, dealing with a, one threat to the gospel, which is uh, a quest, people uh, doubting the resurrection. Right, so that's why he talks more about the appearances here. But essentially, you've got all these things here. Christ died, was buried, was raised, appeared. So notice, first of all, who the gospel is about. Right? It has implications for us, but it's not about us. It's all about Jesus and he is called here by his title, Christ. Right? The word Christ means the anointed one or the king. Right? Uh, and of course, if you double-click that Christ, then you look at all the things that are written about him in the Scriptures. You see that he's promised by God in the Old Testament. You see that he's truly God, truly human. You see that he lived a sinless life, uh, that he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, that he taught us how to love God and love neighbor, uh, that he, by his words and his miracles he showed that God has come to save his people. The subject of the gospel is... Christ, God's King, whom we find in the Scriptures. And so the kingship of Christ, the fact that Jesus is Lord and deserves to be obeyed, that is the starting point for the preaching of the Gospel. Like we cannot proclaim the Gospel without proclaiming Christ Jesus the Lord. We preach Christ. And this Christ, verse 3 again, died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Right? Here you've got the historical event and the theological explanation. The historical event is that he died. Christ died. Okay? Happened first Good Friday. Uh, and we see that he was buried, which means he really, really died. Lah. But then the explanation is also given. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Right? Now, if the gospel message is that Christ died for our sins, that means sin must be very, very serious. Can't really understand or appreciate the gospel unless we realize the problem. The problem to which the gospel is the solution is the problem of sin. And sin is failing to treat God as God. By nature, we are all sinners. We don't treat God properly. We don't love Him. We don't honor Him. We don't obey Him the way we're meant to. And that's just expressed in the wrong things that we say, think, and do. But fundamentally, it's a matter of the heart. And it's a problem we all face. And sin is as evil and horrendous as God is holy. And it is therefore deserving of God's eternal judgment. We cannot solve that problem ourselves. But the gospel tells us that Jesus died for our sins in our place under the judgment of God. And that's how much God loves us. 
Christ died for our sins, it says, according to the scriptures. So when you look at the Old Testament scriptures, scriptures that means Old Testament scriptures, huh? So you've got to go to the Old Testament scriptures, look for where does it talk about someone dying for the sins of others? You've got to go to Isaiah 53, 600 years before Christ. And there Isaiah prophetically speaking about Jesus as a suffering servant. And he writes this in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, I'm going to read to you from verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right? Just imagine this, this, imagine this is not a Bible, huh? it's a book that's got the record of everything I've done wrong. From the day I was born to the day I died. Actually, it's all that because of me, because of my heart. Imagine this hand is me, this hand is God. My sin separates me from God. Because of my sin, I'm under God's judgment. Here's Jesus with no book. He's never sinned. And what does it say? Because of my sin, Jesus died. Jesus hung on the cross. And God took your sin, he took my sin, he laid it on him. And Jesus willingly took the punishment that we deserve. He willingly took our guilt, our shame, our our judgment, and bore it in himself as he hung there for us. He took the just anger of God against our sin, against our insolence, against our rebellion. He took our place. He became our substitute. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He became our substitute. If you're looking for a theological word, it's penal substitution. Penal means punishment. Substitution means one person takes the place of the other. That's what Jesus did for us. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. But as I said just now, he doesn't, stay, he doesn't stop there. Right? It takes us he's buried, which means he's really dead. And then what does it say next? It says, one, back to 1 Corinthians 15, it says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve, etc., 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 Right? Whole list of people. Eyewitnesses. So that means not only was he really dead, but also he was really alive. He really came to life again. Right? And again, you've got the event, the historical event, seen by eyewitnesses, and you've got the explanation where it says, according to the Scriptures. You see, again, you've got to go and double-click. If you double-click on Isaiah 53 last time, better double-click Isaiah 53 again. And what do you see? Well, if you go down to verse 10, it says, when the servant has made an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. In other words, that suffering servant who dies to take the sins of many actually lives to see the fruit of his labor. And then it continues, in, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And then in verse 12, it says, I will divide him a portion with the many, he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. This this suffering servant who died for the sins of God's people lives again. And so the resurrection confirms that Jesus really is this suffering servant. Uh, King David, speaking prophetically through the, script, through the Spirit, had also written in Psalm 16, You will not let your Holy One see decay. On the day of Pentecost, remember Peter's preaching, and what does he say? You know, David died, huh? his tomb is over there. But he was talking prophetically about the real Holy One, the real King, 
that he was pointing forward to. And God shows us who he is by raising him from the dead. His Holy One has not seen decay. And so the resurrection shows that Jesus really is that Holy One, that He really is the King, that really is the one that Israel is promising, because, you know, anyone can claim to be King. Anyone can claim to be a religious teacher sent from God. But only one person in the whole of history has died and risen again, and in such a way that it fulfills the Scriptures. And the Gospel message is all about Him, and it centers on His death and resurrection. So if Jesus is Lord and he's died for our sins, and he's risen again, what are we to do? Well, we have to repent and believe, isn't it? We must turn away from following other gods, other spirits, other philosophies, other leaders, other teachers or prophets who are incompatible with him, and receive him as Lord, because he is Christ, he is Lord. We must turn away from sin and trust him to forgive us through his death on the cross. That's what he died for. That is the only right response to the gospel. And having been saved from our sins, we should seek to keep on believing the gospel. Every day we should trust in Jesus, not ourselves, for salvation. Every day we should rely on His death, not our merits, for our forgiveness. Every day we should seek to live with Him as our King and seek to please Him in what we do. The gospel of Jesus, who died for us and rose again, is the gospel which we proclaim, which we stand, which we will cling to with our dying breath, because that is the gospel by which we are saved. So do not be ashamed of the gospel of the death and resurrection of Christ. It's not a boring or out-of-date thing. It is not something that lacks power. No, no, no. The Bible says it is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus. We do that with the gospel. When we help each other to grow to maturity in Christ, the gospel is at the heart of it all. Whenever we study or teach the Bible, we work out how does the passage we're looking at lead to the gospel or spring from the gospel. When we're exhorting people to, to, to live the new life, we, the gospel is the reason for that, not just moralism. When we love others, we are simply responding to the love that God has shown us in the death of His Son. When we pray, we come to the Father through the Son that's revealed in the gospel by the Spirit who enables us to believe it. When we are leading, we should try and show people how everything you do somehow or other is based on the gospel. And as a church, we need to keep on making sure this gospel comes out again and again in the sermon, in the songs, in the intercessions, in the liturgy. Tell you a little secret. Some people, sometimes people think liturgical service got liturgy. Actually, Spank also got liturgy. Right? Just a contemporary kind of, done in a contemporary way. Right? One of the best things about Cramner's liturgy, which is we use, right, is that it's full of gospel. When we say the creed, what are we doing? We're proclaiming the gospel. When we confess our sins, we're doing it on the basis of the gospel. Our prayers of preparation for the Lord's Supper are a profound declaration of the gospel truth of the once and for all death of Christ. So whatever we do, must never get tired of reminding people of the gospel. So often the gospel is just assumed rather than articulated. Because people think, yeah, 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 we all know that. So we should concentrate on something new. Give people something you don't know. Everybody knows that Christ died and rose again. It's already in our doctrinal statement. So we move on to something else. No, 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 no. The gospel is the center of God's plans and purposes for the whole world, and that must be the anchor and theme of our ministry. And in our own lives, let's make sure we keep relating to God on the basis of this gospel. 
Let's make sure we keep on relating to Him as a sinner, saved by His grace through the blood of His Son. When we serve, let's serve in response to the grace of God shown in the Gospel, not for any other reason. When we seek to love our difficult brother or sister, let's do it because Jesus loved us. He loved us first and gave His life for us, and He did the same for them. When we seek to help the poor, let's do it because we're reflecting the love that God has shown us in Christ by giving His Son for our sins. And let's not just do it, but articulate it. We've got to keep on saying the gospel reasons for social concerns, right? Because even if we don't forget, the next generation will forget. Right? Unless we keep on saying, week in, week out, why we help the poor, we'll end up just helping the poor because it's a good thing to do, instead of because of the gospel. And then it becomes not discipleship, but just philanthropy. Whatever ministry you're in, stop and think. How does this ministry relate to the gospel? There can be many different answers to it, but you need to be able to answer it. I welcome people at church so that we can create a loving community where unbelievers can hear the gospel and be saved, and believers can help each other keep pressing on in Christ to the end. Okay. I assist in kids' church so that children can be taught the gospel of Jesus and be saved for eternity. And I do that because Jesus loved me and saved me. You know that. I do overtime at work so I can have extra money to put in the MIT fund so that people can be trained to faithfully teach the gospel to the next generation. Okay. Be deliberate. How and what I do connect to the gospel. Let's just make sure that the gospel of Jesus is central and drives everything that we do. Now, one of the things we need to make sure that the gospel is central in is our evangelism. You might have thought that evangelism is an area where it's automatically central. And you ought to be right. But it's not always the case. Because people often confuse evangelism with proselytization. To proselytize is to attempt to convert someone to your religion. And many religions do that. A Christian could do that without proclaiming the gospel. Just trying to persuade someone to become a Christian for whatever reason. But evangelism means telling people the gospel. Right? The word gospel in the Greek is euangelion. Right? And so evangelism, to evangelize is to euangelionize. Tell people the gospel. So real evangelism is not just proselytization. It's making the gospel known to lost people, people who don't know Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about the rest of this sermon. There are many reasons why we might evangelize. Sometimes you go for uh, conferences or things, there's people say, well, planting new churches is the best way to evangelize because when the church is small, you see empty, that gives people a lot of motivation to evangelize. So not enough people in church, so better evangelize. No lah. Right? Empty seats in church is not a good motivation for evangelism. And a full church is not an excuse not to evangelize. Right? The church hall is full. Doesn't mean you can stop. We need to keep evangelizing for better reasons. And we need to plant more congregations so that the people we evangelize have a place where they can be established and nurtured to maturity in Christ. Church planting, of course, can be a great catalyst for evangelism. 
because the pastor and the key leaders aren't caught up looking after a big congregation and lots of things. They concentrate on evangelizing the people outside. Right? That's different. Um, uh, it's different from evangelizing in order to fill up seats. Right? One is motivation. One is opportunity. What are the right reasons for reaching the lost? Let me distill it down to three. The glory of Jesus, the plan of God, and the love of neighbor. The glory of Jesus, the plan of God, and the love of neighbor. The first and most important reason is the glory of Jesus. I think we get that from the gospel, don't we? If Jesus is the risen Christ, then he deserves to be king of everyone. If Jesus has died for our sins, then his death should be appreciated by everyone. It's such a wonderful thing. If Jesus really is God-made flesh, then he deserves to be worshipped by everyone. The greatest travesty in the world is that people do not give Jesus the glory and obedience that he deserves. We've already seen that God is so glorious, God is so holy, God is so perfect, God is so exalted that to, that to fail to glorify him, to fail to treat him properly, that's, that's the worst thing we can do. And that glorious, holy, exalted, perfect God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the greatest travesty in the world today is that the Son of God, the one for whom and by whom everything is made, is ignored, taken for granted, relativized as just another prophet or guru, which is actually blasphemy against him, by the way, patronized as a moral teacher, or worst of all, acknowledged as Lord but not treated that way by people who ought to know better. The Jesus who comes to us in the gospel, which comes to us in the Bible, deserves to be known, loved, trusted, and obeyed. The lamb who was slain is worthy. And so the first reason to evangelize must be because the Jesus who comes to us in the gospel deserves to be worshipped as Lord. The second reason is to do with our responsibility in the plan of God. God's plan, centered on his gospel, has always been for his message to go out into all the world. Right? In our Old Testament reading today, we, we saw God speaking to that same suffering servant that we, that we read about in Isaiah 53, uh, and, and we saw it was fulfilled in Jesus. This is a little bit earlier in Isaiah 49. Here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God's salvation plan has always been for the world. Right? And the reason Jesus himself says this is God's plan. Come with me. Come with me to the end of Luke's gospel. End of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 24. Right? The reason Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, he's opening their minds to understand the scriptures, uh, and he says to them, uh, in, uh, in verse 45, he opened their minds and he says to them, verse 46, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Notice the plan and where we're up to in it. Christ suffered. Tick, done already. Raised from the dead. Tick, Done already. 
Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Well, still happening. Started already in Jerusalem, right? And we see that in the book of Acts. But now, continuing. And as the message goes out, it's repentance and forgiveness of sins. Right? Uh, and notice, the gospel Jesus tells the, the, the disciples to proclaim, Christ suffering, raised, and the response to that, repentance, forgiveness. That's the same gospel as we see in 1 Corinthians 15, isn't it? Uh, the apostolic gospel comes from the risen Jesus himself. But notice where we're up to. Not yet finished the job. First part settled, second part in progress. And that's the part that we inherit. We are the beneficiaries of the gospel going up. Someone told us about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. We are also the agents of the gospel going up. We, as God's people, have been entrusted with the gospel, handed down by the apostles, and we have our part to play in it going out to the nations. If we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul speaks about his ministry and his part in that. Uh, actually, he's speaking about him and Timothy. And he says in verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ compels us. Right? It's, it's the love of Christ that actually makes us to do this. Because we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In other words, Jesus loved us so much that he sacrificially died for us, then, then we should love him and live not for ourselves, but for him. That's why he died for us. And friends, if we love him and live for him, then like Paul and Timothy, we should play our part in his plan. Furthermore, if Jesus is our king, then we jolly well better play our part in his plan and obey him. That is our responsibility. That is our job. That is why we're saved for, and that we will answer to God on the last day for how we've carried out. So if you go back to verse 10, Paul says in the same passage, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of God, we persuade others. We know we are answerable. So, brothers and sisters, the second reason we prioritize evangelism is that we have been entrusted by God with a mission. God has a plan. We are part of it. So let's lovingly and obediently make sure we play our part. And particularly you do so as a church together. Now the third reason why we evangelize is because we love others. Remember I spoke, we, we, on Palm Sunday we looked together in Luke's Gospel and we saw Jesus weeping for the people of Jerusalem. He's proclaiming his judgment upon them, but he is weeping. Lost people matter to Jesus and so they should matter to us. Remember, Jesus loved us and died for us. He Jesus loves lost people. The Father loves lost people. Jesus shows us that, right? Luke 15. Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. Because lost people matter to God. And so we should love people as He does. I love people enough to share His love and His sacrifice with them. Because people need to know that Jesus is the true King who can save them, 
and lead them forever. People need to know that forgiveness of sins can be found in Him. People need to repent of following their alternatives, pledge their loyalty to Him as King, and enjoy the forgiveness of sins and eternal life He offers, and to be saved from the condemnation of sin. And so we should seek wherever we can to lovingly tell people about this King who can forgive their sins, rescue them from hell, and give them eternal life. In response to God's love shown in the gospel, we love others, and part of loving others is sharing the love of God with them. So I think we've seen three good reasons for evangelism. The glory of Jesus, the plan of God, the love of our neighbor. And that's why we as individuals share the gospel with our family and friends. I'm sure we look for ways to do that. We just share love, what we know. That is why as a community, we run Hope Explored and Christianity Explored, other evangelistic events. Hope Explored starts today. Quickly go and invite somebody if you can. Uh, that is why we sent Amy Ting out as a missionary so that deaf people can hear the gospel in their own native sign language. That's why we have Nepali ministry, so that Nepali people in Malaysia can receive the gospel and take it back to Nepal. That is why that many of us just try to read the Bible one-to-one -one with others. Talk to our friends and our neighbors, hey, why don't we read, do you want to read the Bible with me? Let me do that. Right? Can I just suggest, reading, take a gospel and read it with, with someone else. Just invite, like, you invite 10 people, one person might say yes. Uh, and, and go through and, and just read a gospel with them. You know, when we talk about the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's Matthew's explanation of the gospel, isn't it? Mark's explanation of the gospel. is a gospel according to Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, right? Every time, what are they saying? They're explaining who is Christ. Right? The whole book, of whether, whether it's whether Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, is explaining who is Christ they explaining that he died for our sins and that he rose again. And inside there, in the narrative form, it will explain the reason. So actually, what the gospel, the gospel, the four gospels are actually the gospel in story form. That's what it is. So take it and read now with your friends. If, if you want a particular way of doing it, go and Google the word one-to-one. -one, right? The word one-to-one. -one. Very nice way of doing it. Very easy uh, for you to go and do with your friends. Think about that. And whatever ministry you're in, right? whatever small group you're in, uh, especially if you're the leader there, got to ask, and now you already asked, how does this ministry relate to the gospel? We talked about that before. Here's the other question. How does this help with evangelism? Because somehow or other, we need also to be thinking about evangelism in all the things that we do. Right? It may not be the particular point of that main ministry. It may not be the main point of the ministry, but you can't leave it out. If you can't work out how it relates to evangelism, then chat with your ministry leader. And if you're the ministry leader, chat with your congregational pastor. Right? But we all got to keep evangelism on the agenda. This is God's plan. Finally, when we reach the lost, we need to reach them with the true gospel. Right? We need to make sure we're sharing Christ and His death and His resurrection. Not some alternative message. Even if People say that will be more attractive, so why don't we do this instead? Uh, back in the 1990s, when I was living overseas, uh, I came back to KL for a holiday with my wife, Judy, 
uh, to see my parents. And at that time, I don't know, some of you might remember, there's this huge evangelistic rally in Bukit Jalil. Uh, the Bukit Jalil Stadium was new at that stage, uh, and there, but there's posters around all over the place, stickers on cars, announcements in churches. You go to the shop, got sticker about this brand. Wow, so good. Right? Such a big thing. Uh, a national Christian organization representing more than 2,000 churches was backing it. And I thought, wow, fantastic. Like, government even allowed Christians to do this. So good. Uh, the speaker, well, I wasn't someone I would have chosen, but, you know, apparently he had been used by God to, to, to bring many people to Christ in South America. So, so Judy and I went along. And it was so exciting to sit on the, the new LRT line, right? Uh, with all these people going to the stadium for a Christian evangelistic event. And when you get there, there's lots of people in the different sections of the stadium with loudspeakers translating into different la local languages or dialects. All very impressive. I don't remember the first part of the program, but I do remember the message that the evangelist delivered when he stood up to speak. He was speaking about the widow of Cain. And in essence, this is a, this is a message, huh? here's this funeral procession here with this widow. The widow is sad because she has lost her son. And so everybody, the whole group is sad. It's a group of people who are sad. And then here's Jesus and his disciples. They are happy. Right? And then they meet. And when Jesus meets these people who are sad, he raises the widow's son. So now they are all happy. Right? Tonight you might be sad for all kinds of reasons. But if you come to Jesus, you meet Jesus, he will make you happy. So come forward now. Jesus will meet your needs. Jesus will make you happy. And the crowd streamed forward. And I could have cried. What a terrible, terrible waste. I preached a gospel, a gospel, all right, but not the gospel of Jesus. No sin, no cross, no repentance, no forgiveness. It's a lost opportunity to tell people about the Savior. And worse, a gospel that cannot save. But it's not just that those kind of events. I've been to many meetings where the gospel is not proclaimed. It's not denied, lie. You go up to the preacher afterwards, you say, do you believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins? Yeah, of course, why you ask me? You know? But from the way he's speaking, it's not the important thing. The important thing is how God wants to bless you now. The real problem is not sin. It's not getting the blessings that God wants to give you. And the solution is come forward, let me pray for you. So the same formula over and over and over again. Friends, that might be superficially attractive, but it's not the gospel. The gospel message is that Christ died for our sins and rose again. The problem of sin and the solution in Christ is at the heart of the authentic gospel, which is the only gospel that can save. So let's preach the gospel of Christ. Let's call people to repentance and forgiveness. Let's share the truth lovingly and clearly not watering it down to make it more palatable or adding things to make it more appealing because actually, uh, no one's going to thank you on the last day for giving them a false gospel because a false gospel is powerless to save them. And remember, we're not just into proselytization, evangelism. So never try to force or manipulate anyone to convert to Christianity because if you did that, it wouldn't be a genuine conversion. What's the point? God is in the business of changing people's hearts. We can't do that. We can't convert anyone. It's a spirit who gives people new life. 
It's a spirit who enables people to trust in Christ. It's a spirit who converts people and brings them from darkness to light. Our part is to share the gospel lovingly, truthfully, plainly, to help them look for answers, the questions they may have. Oh yes, there might be persuasion involved. You look at the Bible, discuss, 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 yeah. But you can't change people's hearts. You can pray that God would open their eyes to see the Savior and the wonderful salvation He offers us in Him. So let's proclaim the gospel for gospel reasons, the gospel way. And may, fa- may the Father be pleased to glorify the Son among us as the Spirit draws lost people to Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of your Son. Thank you that, that Jesus is Lord, that He died for our sins, that He rose again. Well, thank you that you've enabled us to repent and to come to Him as our King. And thank you for the forgiveness and life that we find in Him. And please help us to hold fast to this gospel to the end of our lives. Please help us to keep it central in our life and ministry. And please help us individually and as a church to faithfully and lovingly proclaim this gospel to the world for the glory of your Son. And we ask this in His name. Amen.